Well, you know, as a teacher, I learned a very, very valuable lesson in the 30, 35 years that I taught high school. And that is, you can't teach a thing until you get everybody's attention. And so what I'm going to do is ram's horn, or shofar they call it, and um, the priests would use this to get everybody's attention, either for the fact that uh, they're going to be moving out, or enemies coming, or whatever, so I spent many years playing a tuba, it's a little bit smaller mouthpiece, but let me, let me see what I can do here. Did, okay, I just wanted to make sure that I got everybody's attention. I probably blew, up, blew out the mic. So, we've got our attention. You know, just to give you a little background for those of you that might not know uh, what this is all about. Uh, back in 2015, in December, Randy Amos came down from up in Oregon, and he did a... Uh, a, a conference on digging deeper, and it was um, uh, just PowerPoint, but he mentioned that he really would like to get a tabernacle. I don't know which one am I doing. Is it this one that's catching it? Um, anyway, so, and so that kind of, the Lord really kind of spoke to my heart, and I, I would, I was wanting to do something like that, build something, because I'm a, I'm a visual. I'm going to I'm a, I'm a visual person, and uh, I teach visually, uh, telling, you know, showing the kids projects and that sort of thing. And so anyway, um, we are almost done with this project. There's only two more tapestries that are needed to be finished, and, and Millie uh, Weaver is working in that, the, the veil. Um, and then also the entry, the entry door tavern, uh, tapestry. When those are finished, then it'll be complete. Uh, we're going to, Lord willing, set this up at the uh, all boys camp in the uh, dining hall. And uh, so we're, we're gonna see how that works. And then, but for everybody else, um, if things work out, I've already worked with uh, Grace Bible Chapel Fullerton, their Sunday school room is large enough to take in this tabernacle that we have. You need 50 feet by about 20 feet just for the tabernacle, and then you've got the audience that has to sit on the side. So uh, that being said, um, I just want to um, have everybody, if you could look in, we're going to be doing a lot of scripture, uh, turning to a lot of scripture, so... It'll be a, an exercise for arthritic fingers. Um, if we can turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Then verily, the first covenant 
had also ordinances of divinely service and a worldly or literally an earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. And then going, going down to verse 9. Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make. This is the key to the tabernacle that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It's really interesting, that word figure. It's the Greek word parabolis, where we get the word parable. The tabernacle is a parable. A parable is an earthly example of something that takes place in heaven. And some of the things that I learned in my study, uh, I want to share. There is no way, absolutely no way, I could cover all the things on the, the brazen altar this morning. It would, it'll, it would take weeks to go through all the things. So I'm just going to kind of uh, touch on some high, highlights, some points here. Some people have said, why, why do you study the tabernacle? Why talk about it? That's Old Testament. That's, we're in New Testament now. Well, the, there's 50 chapters in the Bible that I found out. 50, five, zero chapters in the Bible specifically talking about the tabernacle. What does that say? That means it's important. There's lessons that we need to learn, not, about, not only about how we should live our lives, but about the, uh, about the Lord, about God. And so we, um, let's go to uh, Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6, and like I said, we're going to be bouncing all over the place, so be ready. Leviticus chapter 6. And we're zeroing specifically on the, the altar, the brazen altar here. Leviticus chapter 6, starting in verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offerings. It is a burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garments. And you can see the priest back there in the back corner, hopefully. And his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar. And he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put, on his, he shall put off his garments and put on other garments. That's really important. We'll, we'll talk about that later. And carry forth the ashes without the camp or outside the camp into a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it, and it shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn uh, wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn upon the fat of the peace offering. So one thing real quickly, just to mention, the peace offering is always put on the burnt offering. It's not by itself. Verse 13, the fire shall ever be burning on the altar. It shall never 
go out. And we're going to talk about that. That's a real important fa phrase. Okay. Did you see that? Now, the first piece of furniture that you would see as an Israelite when you're coming into the tabernacle was the brazen or the brass altar. That's the first thing you would come to. And the first step in approaching to God is always on the basis of shed blood. Really important, people. That's so important. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Your sins cannot be taken away unless perfect blood is shed on your behalf. Now, my shedding of my blood won't take away one sin. The reason is because my blood's tainted. My blood, I, I'm a sinner. Only a perfect sacrifice on your behalf will take away your sin. Some people say, well, <laughs> I have my own way to God. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. They say, oh, I have my own way to God. And, um, you know, and that's true. They do have their own way to God, except for one thing. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says this, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. A couple years ago, I got a call, and I've mentioned this before, but some of you might not have heard. I got a call from uh, Claremont McKenna College over here. And I got a call from one of the professors who teaches uh, comparative religions. And he said, well, I've, uh, it was a summer class. And he says, I've, I've got a group of students that were going around to different faith, different churches, different beliefs, and we'd like to come to your uh, church and, and ask you some questions. And I said, absolutely. So they came. There was about a dozen uh, college-age students and the professor. And um, after kind of led them, you know, giving them uh, what we do here and that sort of thing, one of the questions that one asked is that, why do you believe that your way is the only way? And so I shared with them two verses. And you probably already know those verses, right? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. And I shared also with them Acts 4, 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And so I also, and, and still you could see some credulous look on their face, and so I said, okay, how many of you students, how many of you have uh, flown in a commercial jet? And they all raised their hand. I said, supposing the jet, you're in a jet and you were flying uh, from New York to LA, and right, right around Arizona is when the plane starts to descend from its 35,000 foot uh, elevation. And then the captain comes on the loudspeaker and he says, you know, I've been taught, I've been trained for the last 30 years that there's only one way to correctly, safely land this airplane. He said, but you know, that is so narrow-minded. 
I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to land this plane upside down. Now, would everybody in the plane go, oh, that is great. I mean, this guy is not narrow-minded. Oh, no. Are you kidding me? You would have screaming. You would have a group getting together. We got we to gotta try to get into the pilot, you know? Because everybody knows there's only one way to correctly land a jet. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. So when, as an Israelite, you came into the tabernacle, the outside court, you saw this first of seven pieces of furniture. And you had to have an offering. If you came with nothing in your hands, there was no sacrifice. Uh, either you were stopped at the gate or it would cost you your life. And the Bible goes on about that. And so it, and, uh, we, we're going to run out of time here. So I'm just going to read a couple of these. Uh, Leviticus 4.20 says, And he shall do with the bullock, which is what we have up here in, on the uh, brazen altar, as he did with the bullock for the sin offering, so shall he do this. And the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Now remember this. What happened back in the Old Testament on the brazen altar was for atonement, which meant a covering. It covered your sins. It didn't remove them. There was only one sacrifice ever given that completely removed sin. And that's when, when Jesus Christ died at Calvary. He removed your sin, the penalty for your sin and mine. He paid it. And when he did that, he wiped out all the sacrifices that were insufficient, that, were, that came up short. And so the, the brazen altar, the brass altar, is a picture of suffering. Yeah, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and starting at verse, well, verse 12, but we'll, we'll start at verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not to say of this building, this one here, look at verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Revelation 1.5 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, I want to show you what the altar was made out of. And this, this is amazing to me because I've worked with wood much of my life. This is acacia wood. This is a sample piece of acacia wood. Acacia wood 
is found in the desert. And it is extremely dense. If you look on it on the outside, and it's not that, you know, pretty. If you look on the inside, it's gorgeous. That's a picture to us of the Lord Jesus. You know, in Isaiah 53, it says, there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. But once we came to have, ask him to be our savior, he became the most beautiful person we have ever met. A couple things about acacia wood. It is extremely indestructible. This, there are fence posts up in Utah, Montana, out in the field that have been there for 150 years. Fence posts made out of this stuff. It's long lasting. It also resists any decay or disease. Can, can you kind of start seeing how this reminds us of the Lord Jesus? So, First John five, uh, First John three five says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. There was no decay in the Lord Jesus. He didn't have a sin nature. Second Corinthians five twenty one says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then finally, in 1 Peter 2.22 says, Who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 27. Exodus 27. And this is the construction starting in 27 verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar out of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad, uh, broad, I'm sorry, and the altar shall be four square, and the height of it shall be three cubits. It's interesting that the altar, the brazen altar, is twice as high as the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is, uh, is one and a half cubits, 27 inches. This, this is not to size. This is close, but it's not to size. The, the brazen altar was 54 inches tall, twice as tall as the Ark of the Covenant. Four square, perfectly symmetrical. Now, the fire was going nonstop, 24-7. It was made out of wood. Do, do you see a little problem there? Yeah, I do. It was encased completely in brass. Now, the grate that the animal was sacrificed on, that, those, were, those were brazen rods. Those were solid rods. They weren't wood inside. And so, it says, Thou shalt make the horns thereon. There's four horns on each corner, as you can see. And they shall overlay it with brass. And thou shalt make... His pans to receive the ashes, shovels, basins, flesh hooks. We'll talk about all that in just a second. And all the vessels shalt thou make of brass. And thou shalt make for it a grade of network of brass. And upon the net, 
and then down um, verse 6, and thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of uh, acacia wood, and overlay them with brass. So here's these staves, and they would go through those rings that you see there, and that's how they would carry it. <clears throat> and verse 8, and hollow with boards thou shalt make it. And so <clears throat> we have it, the actual dimension of it was seven and a half feet long by seven and a half feet by four and a half feet tall. There was no crown around the top rim. There was a crown around the Ark of the Covenant, the altar of incense, and the table of showbread that were inside the tabernacle. They all had a crown. This had no crown. You say, okay, so it didn't have a crown, big deal. It's a very big deal because this speaks to us of the humanity of Christ in his humiliation. No crown. When you get into where the holy of holy, the holy and the holy of holies, where everything's gold, there were crowns. Again, just beautiful. And then it says, um, we have four horns on each corner. <clears throat> now, you see this nice little animal here? It doesn't have horns because it's a nice little sheep. What has horns? When we think of horns, do we, are, do we have a, a football team called the Los Angeles Rams or the Los Angeles Lambs? You see the difference? A ram has horns. Horns speak to us of power. Have you ever seen one of those Texas Longhorn things? I mean, those babies, I don't know, maybe eight foot, uh, just huge. Horns speak to us of power. And he, this is the picture that the Lord Jesus has the power to save us. Now, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. <laughs> um, the, uh, the animals were tied to the, the horn one of the horns. In Psalm 118, verse 27, it says, bind the sacrifice with cords even to the horns of the altar. So the animal, the, the Israelite that would bring his sacrifice would take the animal, and we'll talk about the, the different types of animals in just a moment, <clears throat> that they would bring, and they would tie it to the horns of the altar. Now, just think about that. This is the first thing that you would see when you entered into the, the tabernacle courtyard. The other thing you would see is an incredible amount of flies because the blood from the sacrifice was dumped or poured at the base of the altar. And you do that 24-7, okay, blood will draw flies. And that's not very you know, attractive. When this college group came a couple, two, three years ago, when they came here, they looked around. <laughs> they said, this is pretty simple. I mean, the, the, uh, the professor said, well, where's your crucifix? You know, where, where's the, and uh, we said, well, I said, well, we, we, we don't worship the cross, but we do worship the one that was on the cross. He's no longer there. 
What attracts people to this assembly? The Bible says in 1 John 4, 21, and this, is my, this commandment have I from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. The one drawing card at this assembly for people that have come here should be our love one for another. So anyway, the Israelite would bring the animal, and then the priest, well, they would be the one. Here we go again. They would cover the priest would hand him a knife. Okay? And before they did this, the Israelite would put his hand on top of the the animal, be it uh, a bull or, or whatever, a goat or a sheep, and they would confess their sins and symbolically would pass their sins to this animal. And symbolically, that animal would pass its life to the Israelite, to the, the one that offered. So there was, a double, there was a transaction there. Sin to the animal, the life of the animal to the offer. Then he would take the knife and he would come and he would slit the throat of the animal. The priest would take a brass bowl and catch all the blood as the animal was dying. And then it would take the blood and it would put it on the horns here, there, there and there. Put the blood on the horns of the altar. Again, speaking of power, and it was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that allowed you and I to have eternal life if we accept him. If we don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal savior, then we're not saved. Now, what are some of the, the different animals? Well, we have an oxen. And over here, we have, what are these things, guys? Huh? Well, they look like pigeons, but they're what? What else? What, what, huh? Doves. You could either have a dove or a pigeon. And you could also have, and we're having that worked on right now, we're having uh, goats made. And the, the oxen that's on the altar right now speak to us of perseverance. You know, the ox, you know, they're the ones, they're the, the John Deere of their day. They're the ones that allowed you to plow your fields and that sort of thing. They were the most valuable thing. I mean, you can get a bunch of sheep, but an ox... That was a pretty big sacrifice out of your pocket. And the sheep speaks to us of the lack of resistance. We read in Isaiah, he was led like, like a lamb to the slaughter. Before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And so the goat, you think, well, what does a goat signify? Well, as we read in Matthew 25, 32, 
at the very end, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The goat is a picture to us of sin. And remember, it tells us that in Isaiah 53, that the Lord Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He himself was not a sinner, but he died amongst sinners. That's the picture that we have of the goat. And the, the uh, turtle doves speak to us of mourning or sorrow and poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that was read this morning in our breaking of bread, says, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. So the sacrifice of the poor man became the poor man's sacrifice. So we can see Christ in all the different animals that are offered. The word altar means lifted up. That's what the, the literal word of altar means. It means lifted up. And we, that reminds us of uh, John 3, 14, when the Lord Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He said, the, um, even so shall the Son of Man, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And the fire on the brazen altar burned continually. It proclaimed God's holiness and justice, and it was symbolic of his readiness to receive the sacrificial offerings of the people to cleanse them from sin. So we're going to talk just real quickly of some other things about the different tools. We got here... These are called flesh hooks, okay? And the flesh hooks, they look pretty nasty, don't they? <laughs> but they would use this to lift that, that sacrifice on the altar and then to turn it and that sort of thing and to take, and take off uh, the other sacrifices. The burnt offering burnt, was burnt completely to ashes. So you think, okay, flesh hooks, big deal. What does that mean? This speaks to us of cruelty. Remember when the Lord was nailed to that Roman cross? That's what this speaks of. The cruelty of, the, the cruelty of man against the perfect Lamb of God. And then, remember, everything was of brass. And then this would take the ashes, and then they would go outside the camp to a clean place and deposit them there. What do ashes speak to us of? Ashes speak to us of a completely finished judgment. Nothing's left. Remember last summer? Remember those fires up north? Remember uh, the, is the, the campfire, I think it was, or the one that went through that little town of paradise, when they came back, what was left? Nothing. Nothing but ashes. And so in the burnt offering, it speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave it all. See, people didn't kill the Lord Jesus. He gave up his life. He said, John, he says, it is finished. Jesus didn't die because he lost his blood. He gave his life. He died not because of a loss of blood. 
He died because he willingly gave up his life. And so we had the bowl that the uh, blood was put in, and then the ashes were taken, and then also we have, we have the censer, the high priest, every single morning. The high priest in his nice uh, garments of glory would come with his censer, and he would take off of the altar, the brazen altar, he would take a little bit of the hot coals, put it in his censer, and then he'd go into the holy, and there on the altar of incense, he would put the incense on there and it would come uh, have that smoke. You remember there were two guys, two, two sons of Aaron that thought, we don't, we don't, you know, I don't want to go over the altar. Man, that place just smells those flies all over the place. I don't want to go over there to get my fire. I've got, I've got, uh, I, I took some, some fire out of our, our campfire at, at, at our tent. I'm going to take that into the Holy of Holies to burn incense. What did God do? He struck them dead because they didn't go to the altar first. You see, the next piece of furniture between the altar and the tabernacle was the laver, big container of water, and you would wash. And if that was first, people that would come in and say, oh, I got I to gotta clean up my act first before I can worship God. I've, I've got to make things right with God. I mean, I've got I've to do stuff. No. You've, the only entrance into God's presence was through sacrifice. And so ashes speak to us of a completed transaction. Now, it was interesting that the priest over there, he had linen garments. And he would take the ashes, but before he took the ashes outside the camp, he would change his clothes. He thought, why, did you get something dirty on you? No. The picture is very, very, very important. And that is the changing of clothes after the setting of the ashes beside the altar and before taking them outside the camp to a clean place speaks to us of how sin defiles us and that we need a changing of clothes on a daily basis. What does 1 John 1.9 tell us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. All the pictures that we have here are exactly apropos to us today. As believer priests, those that have accepted Christ as their Savior, we have been clothed with the garments of salvation and robed in the righteousness as a bride adorns herself for her marriage. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he, now listen, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has clothed me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh herself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The Apostle Paul instructs us to put off the old life of sin as one that strips away an old garment, worn out clothes. We read about that. In fact, let's take a look at that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Colossians 
three. We'll start at verse seven. Colossians chapter three, verse seven. In the which ye also walked some time when you lived in them, but now you have put off all these things, anger, malice, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. The putting off is a picture of taking off those old garments. <clears throat> so we await that day when that old sin nature that we all have still, you didn't lose that when you got saved, by the way, will be finally stripped away and will stand before the Lord clothed in that white raiment. We read about that in uh, Revelation 19.8. And to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So the white linen that you see that priest robed with represents the righteous deeds that were manifested by believers during their earthly ministries here. And the very fact that the fire burned 24-7 speaks to us of John chapter 8, verse 29. It says, Lord Jesus says, I always, I do always those things that please him. That's what that is. a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus. John 17, 19. For their sake, I sanctify myself that they might be sanctified through the truth. Christ didn't become holy. He was always holy. But he set himself apart for the work that the Father had him to do, and that was to, to die for your sins and my sins. Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? Everybody in this room has a big H on their forehead. Heaven or hell? Everybody in this room is one heartbeat from one of those two places. We don't know. We have no idea when our time is up, but the Lord does. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Everybody here has an appointment that you can't avoid. You must you must receive Christ as your Savior. John 3, 36 says, He that believeth on the Son has, or present tense, has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So if you've not received Christ as your Savior, right now, God's wrath is sitting right on your head. And you're a ticking time bomb. In fact, as someone has said, if you don't have Christ as your Savior, it's not safe for you to die. It's not safe for you to die. The position of the altar spoke of the access and fellowship with God. And <clears throat> before the priest could enter the tabernacle, he had to offer a blood sacrifice on the brazen altar for himself 
In Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things by, are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Now, there were some ex exceptions to this, because it says, all, and almost all things. Well, what are the exceptions? We read about those in the um, Exodus 30, verse 11, and Leviticus 5, 11. Because every man, every male, 20 years old and above, during census taking, was required to bring a half a shekel of silver for atonement money instead of a blood sacrifice. They paid a half a shekel. That was one. The other one was certain forms of some, uh, ceremonial uncleanliness were dealt with by bringing fine flour, not shed blood. Today, access and fellowship with God can only come through the sacrificial, of, uh, sacrificial death of Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 9, again, and verse 15. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 15. And it says, And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of, of eternal inheritance. Approaching the tabernacle of God without offering a proper sacrifice was certain death. If anybody here, anybody you know, rejects the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ did at Calvary's cross, that person will be separated from God and face eternal death. Let's take a look at, finally, John chapter 3 and verse 36. Well, we already did that one. I'm sorry. Let's turn over to first. It was 1 John 5, 12. First, first John, towards the back of the Bible. First John 5, 12. And it says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have, present tense, eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So what does that mean for us today? Without application, all I'm doing is sharing information with you. You know, in Romans 12 and 1, it tells us that we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. That's God's requirement for us. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And sometimes when you get on that, that altar, 
things get a little hot, right? Things don't always go your way. And sometimes you want to crawl down off of that, that altar. I want to read to you, and then we're going to close in prayer, a poem written by Nate Branson's sister. Uh, his sister went undiagnosed with um, Lyme's disease for, I think it was like almost 18 months. And as a result, she almost died. And she got down to less than 100 pounds. In fact, when Nate was uh, going to leave and, and go over to uh, Africa as a missionary, he looked on his sister and thought, this is the last time I'm going to see her alive on earth. But in this time that she went through, she wrote this poem. And it goes like this. I sang the hymns on Sunday, and I knew all the lines. To all to Jesus I surrender, and his hand in mine. But then the day arrived when God put it to the test. He said, I want to use your life to show you my way is best. I don't want folks to only hear words of praise. It's not enough to quote the lines on which you have been raised. I want your life to prove it. I want the world to see what I can do within a heart surrendered to me. For I will show the great things that I, the Lord, can do. I will display my glory. And I'm asking to use you. But I don't need your gifts, your efforts, I, your strength, your energy or strength. I'm not looking for a hero or some superhuman saint. I want to have your weakness. I want to take your pain and use your inabilities to glorify my name. And I want you to trust me to daily seek my face. I have no promised answers. I have only promised grace. For the underlying issue is really not about all the great things I'll do through you or the way you'll help me out. But it's what I'm doing in you that I want the world to see that the way of nothingness is made beautiful in me. So trust me, precious child, and someday you'll understand that what seemed to you so senseless was exactly what I had planned. The brazen altar, the Lord Jesus, being completely giving his life for me. How should we praise him and thank him for what he did? What a beautiful picture it is of the extent that the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to go, the creator of the universe, to save you and me. And he just doesn't want to say, he wants, to, he wants us to be in his presence for the rest of eternity. He wants to, the God of the universe, the God that created everything, wants 
Dave Dixon? Are you, are you serious? Yes. And he wants you to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that today we've seen just a few pictures of what your son went through in order to secure our salvation. Oh, Father, your love for us is so great. We'll never completely understand it. But you were willing to give up your only son for sinners, <clears throat> for rebellious people such as us. So, Father, I pray that anything and everything that was said this morning of the flesh will be completely forgotten. But, Father, those things that your spirit wanted to be said would speak to each one of our hearts. Those of us, Father, that, that need to give up our sinful pleasures and sacrifice ourselves on, on the altar for you to give up wanting to be part of the world and its pleasures, its passing pleasures. Father, I pray for those who are outside of Christ. They know they're sinners, Father. They know that they're only one heartbeat from eternity of fire and darkness and separated from a God that loves them. Oh, Father, may your Holy Spirit speak to their hearts even today in your son's worthy and precious name.